Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Hey, welcome back to Faith in Your Recovery. We want to take a moment here at the start of today's episode just to give a big thank you and kudos to all of you who are listening, sharing, liking, subscribing. Uh, keep doing it. We need that. Let me give you an idea of why. This is an indication of where you brought us here at Faith in Your Recovery. According to podcast at 10 at tenorsoftware.com, our Faith in Your Recovery podcast has been ranked in the top 250 nationwide in Canada for the first 23 days of 2024, which uh, that's quite an honor. In Canada, on January 1st, we were ranked number two. On the second, we dropped to number four, then 11, and so on. We're ranked here in the U.S. They only rank the top 250. Of course, we fit in the not-for-profit category. But just by you tuning in, that's allowed us that. It just gives us wonderful coverage, and we'd love to get a review from you of some type. You're welcome to send that to podcast at ablbh.org. We'd love to hear from you anytime. Maybe you've got a guest to suggest, or you've got an idea for a topic or a theme. Remember, we reside under the umbrella of all things recovery. Our guest today, Robert Zint. Welcome, Robert. Well, thank you, Randy. Good to be here. Good to have you. Tell the folks where you're from. Tell them a little bit about your life at this point, and then uh, we'll get into some of the things that pertain more so to our podcast. But we want a little bit of your your personal touch, okay? Sure, sure. Uh, I reside, I, I usually tell people I'm in Dallas, Texas. Now, uh, detail-wise, I'm actually about an hour north of there in a very small rural town. I'm closer to the Oklahoma border than I am actually Dallas. But when you say Dallas, um, lots of things come to mind, either the TV show from way back or the Cowboys um, these days. But I'm in the Dallas area. I've been here this time uh, almost 30 years. Uh, I'm, an, I'm an Air Force brat, so um, I grew up um, – all over the place, born in Fort Worth, but didn't spend a whole lot of time there. Uh, so I spent a lot of time in the Southwest, uh, as my dad was stationed in areas, then overseas for a little while, and then California, uh, Albuquerque. But been a Texan here uh, officially for, for about 30 years. Um, I've got um, five grandkids. Uh, actually, six. I'm I'm married in a blended family uh, with six grandkids total. I got a seventh on the way in July. Congrats. Uh, thank you. You know, it seemed like um, yesterday I had none. And then like an algae bloom, 
um, suddenly I've got a whole tassel of grandkids. And so it's it's been really fun. My youngest daughter just had her first child uh, a little over a week ago. So um, celebrating that, uh, it's been a great time. I I got my bachelor's uh, degree pretty late in life here at the University of North Texas in Denton. Uh, currently, just about done with my master's, uh, Master of Arts, <clears throat> excuse me, in theology and culture in the uh, Seattle School uh, of Theology and Psychology out in Seattle, Washington. Uh, it's mostly uh, Zoom classes, but I do make four trips out there in two years uh, studying theology and culture with a ministry emphasis. Um, in my earlier years, uh, what seems like another lifetime ago, I was actually in ministry. Uh, and then uh, my own addiction hit and kind of ripped apart my family, uh, not to bring the house down, but that's kind of my story. Um, and then in the last 20, 25 years, uh, have really had to go through my own recovery. Um, and then that last 20, 25 years, spent a lot of time in construction, uh, paying my bills. But now I'm uh, working my way back to kind of bookend my life, uh, to get back into a ministry aspect uh, and to finish my life well. So what that's kind of that, where I'm at now. Well, What's what that? did that early ministry look like? Uh, what uh, I, style of ministry was it? I'm a retired pastor of 35-plus mm -hmm. uh, years. So how was, yes, what did that look like? Uh, for me, I grew up in the Southern Baptist Church. Um, my dad was my dad is Catholic. My mom's Southern Baptist, but we were raised in the Southern Baptist Church. Um, and I became a licensed minister at Southern Baptist Church at the age of the ripe old age of eighteen, um, maybe nineteen. And after that, I spent a while doing music and youth ministry. You know, at, at the ripe old age of eighteen, nineteen, and twenty. I mean, you can connect with youth, you know, fairly easily. But mostly it was music uh, and music youth. I did have uh, have some opportunities to preach here and there. And then, then later on in life, uh, even in the recent 20 years, I've had the opportunity to do some men's retreats and so forth and speak to high schoolers hey. and middle schoolers. But, yeah, that first, that first foray into ministry was, you know, Wearing suits, three-piece suits, the tie, you know, directing music the with day. the hand. That was the day you're, you know, using your hands a lot to direct music. Um, yeah, it seems like a lifetime ago. <laughs> yeah. So, what are your, what are your hopes for this other piece of the bookend? What yeah. kind of ministry would you like? How would you like to live that out? Yeah. So I, I always I tell people primarily I I want to minister to men. Um, again, in the last fifteen years, even uh, I've I put together with some a friend of mine some men's retreats um, that were yeah again primarily men. Um, now that's okay. not exclusively men, but primarily men because there's that's one of the things I have felt. Uh, living my own life with my own issues. I, I've seen men 
struggle with some of the a lot of the same things. Um, sure, addictions, sure. addictions, not understanding who they are in Christ, um, having issues with identity. Um, and in this day and age, of course, there's there's more confusion maybe than ever on what it oh. really means to be a man. You know, and that it doesn't mean you wear camo and uh, carry a gun or you only talk about football. Those are those are uh, those are fake things for men. So what I really want to do is kind of explore with men primarily uh, the the idea of what it means to be uh, spiritual, what it means to live your faith um, as a man, and that that goes all sorts of different directions. But that's that's kind of where I want to head um, is talking about what it means to be a spiritual man, uh, a warrior yeah, poet yeah. is what I might call it. Aha, I like that title. Now, let's go back. You said that you started off that first uh, bookend, okay, with ministry. Then you had your own issues, struggles, addictions. Tell us about those. What what we're talking the addiction was and how what it did to you and how you were able to move beyond and become an overcomer. Sure. So it's a little different than maybe some of the, the typical addictions. Uh, I would say mine was uh, I would I hesitate to call it a certain name, but I would say if, if you if I told you that I struggle with massive infidelity in my first marriage. Uh, that would give you an idea of the things I struggled with, and again, probably why I'm 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 tending to want to speak to men today is because it's even harder to deal with sexuality today for men. But that was my primary addiction was uh, infidelity. Uh, I don't know how that strikes you, but that was what what broke up. You know, my my first wife. Uh, we had all four of my kids. And so uh, she was great at trying to handle me, but at some point it just became clear that I just wasn't ready. Um, so we got divorced, and the good thing is that we managed to actually be really good ex-spouses and, and co-parent our kids. Great for you both. Yes. We don't always hear that anymore, and they become a tool that's a sad situation, but hooray yeah. for you both. Sorry for well, the breakdown, but glad you handled it the best you could. Yeah, I, I had made a couple of promises to myself when that all happened, was that I would never, uh, would never lie about it, never try to avoid it. Because uh, I had numerous people would ask me, what happened to your marriage? And I would explain to them. And it's a little bit, um, it's a little bit vulnerable to talk about um, because sure. it is very, very, um, it's a very, very human thing. But yeah, we we managed to do pretty well raising our kids as exes. Um, she did the bulk of that, I would say. But yeah, we 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 managed to relate very well even afterwards. Now it took me a while. I, this is my third marriage. Again, being perfectly honest, I I got married a second time, un, uh, thinking that it would fix me. Um, and I was I was a much different man that second time, but it was still a, um, 
it was still uh, it was an issue of that wasn't enough to fix her, if that makes any sense. So I had to go through two marriages before I got to the other side. And then I started, that was when I actually started my recovery in depth. I, after my first divorce, it would, there were some things that I went through, but the second, the second one was the one that really broke me. Uh, and I think you probably understand brokenness when we talk about addiction and recovery. Uh, a, certain, a certain rock bottom, right, that you kind of have to hit yes. a lot of times. And that, that was, that was so, kind of what did it for me. What did, what kind of path did your recovery take? Was it counseling, uh, et cetera, something else? Tell us a little about that path that you journeyed sure. to get to your recovery. What yeah. worked for you? Uh, I would say the very first thing that I had to do, and it kind of goes back to that where I said I made a couple of promises to myself. The first thing was I had to be honest. And that was honesty with myself, honest with other people, and honest with God. And so what I meant by that was I was, I just could not lie. And that was the very first thing, that was the very first step in my recovery was, uh, the, you, know, you know, the tendency for most of us guys, and maybe for everyone in general, is is to cover up your your shortcomings, your flaws, your huge mistakes. And I knew that for me, recovery would mean the very first step was I had to be honest. No lies. I had to be vulnerable. Um, and so that was the very first step. There was some counseling there, um, but I would say primarily my therapy was uh, engaging with friends. And by friends, I mean people who would be able to carry me. Uh, they would they would carry my story. They would handle it with care, uh, if that makes sense. Um, so those are the first two things, honesty and then relationship. I had, I, had to, I had to engage in relationship in which I had to be honest and vulnerable, which you, know, you see that a lot, of course, in AA groups, because that's one of the primary things is everyone in an AA group is, we're all in the same boat, right? Rich, poor, white, black, we're all in the same boat. We have particular, uh, we have particular sins, if you will, but we're all in the same boat of having suffered trauma and addiction of some sort. Does it's that the same your question? storm that's battering the boat. Yep, yep, exactly, exactly. So that, that was how I, primarily started recovery and then after that um it, be, it there became a uh, I journaled a lot I read a lot I allowed myself to uh quite frankly to cry a lot to weep to pray um but also to engage with friends and others who would be able to who would be able to share my story and carry it with respect how so, were you able to carry your faith in God through this? Did you step away from that? Did you step into it? Uh, yeah, what did that look like, Robert? Yeah, that was, uh, there's, there's a few areas where I, I count myself actually courageous. Um, 
when in the middle of my addiction, I was anything but courageous. But out, after that initial divorce, I, uh, the second divorce especially, I actually engaged my faith even more. I There were probably temptations to walk away, um, mostly maybe out of embarrassment, you know, shame. Shame is a very powerful, very powerful tool to drive us away from relationship. But for me, I actually, there was a moment in time um, that I decided uh, the only way out of this is to actually go further in. And by further in, I meant I'm going to embrace my faith greater than I actually ever had before. And that was the path. And that's where I, w- I was reading, praying, journaling, crying, laughing at times, um, being honest with myself. So, yeah, I, I was going to say maintaining that honesty with self and God. Yes, exactly. And so that was, again, I counted that, I, I count that as one of my courageous moments because, yeah, again, there's, it's easy for us to shy away uh, when we're in the midst of, of the microscope, when everyone can see, every, because a lot, of my, a lot of my old friends knew everything, and that can be tough to, to handle. So I counted that point of courageousness um, as kind of a, a badge or like an AA, you get the, the coin, is that what it is? The, the badge, the token. Yes. That's kind of one of my tokens is that, you know, I can always look back and say I I didn't I I I had the temptation to leave but I d- instead went deeper in and that changed my entire life entire life I like that yeah. and you carry that as that badge of honor yes and uh, that that's totally appropriate sounds like to me okay yeah. because yeah. it was either I jump in or I jump out. And you chose to jump in with both feet and uh, kept trudging through everything that meant. So yes, yes. That, that's obviously a big part of bringing you where you are today. Oh, it's Were the you, reason I'm here, yeah. I have no doubt. Uh I almost ask if you were able to reconcile with your first wife in the sense of making the right uh, amends and everything, but I'm going to back up on that and guess, correct me if I'm wrong here, but guess that you maintained a close enough relationship that she knew the changes you were making and you were able to come across those moments of not trying to put it back together, but at least make the proper amends and offer the proper apologies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's been part of the journey is in conversations with her. Um, I, I had to actually try and tell her that none of this was her fault. And and that's that was the way I did that. I to make amends was I, I needed to be clear to her that this was not you. None of it was you. And then, so we've had several, oh, many conversations over the last 20 plus years now from when that happened. And so, yeah, that was an extremely important thing for me was to make sure, not just for her and I's sake, but also for the sake of my kids. So- my kids have, have had the benefit 
of seeing that despite our divorce, that we get along and we, we co-parent well, we have co-parented well. Uh, my kids have, have, have done very well, what I normally say, in spite of my faults. Um, but it's, it's also because, yes, I've made a point of trying to make sure that my, my ex-wife is clear and that, I, and we've talked about some of my mistakes. So again, that honesty with God, with myself, with others includes her and my kids. Yes. Yeah. And that, that has to include a great deal of openness yes. uh, in all of those relationships, which, uh, You've got to come across to others now as a genuine person, not somebody with something to hide, but somebody right. who grew through some poor choices or, uh, yep. you know, whatever you may have labeled that struggle at the time, okay? <laughs> right, right. Yeah, there's yeah. the element of of going through that with integrity, right? I like that. There's the integrity of it. Yeah. What? And that may be your answer to this. What is the the biggest thing you learned from all of that? Uh, if you were seated across the table from someone who has a very similar story, what would you tell them was the key lesson you took away from that? Wow, that's uh, so. Just one key lesson? Uh, <laughs> Give us a couple if you want. Yeah. A couple at the uh, top. I, I would say, I'll, I'll go back to that, the, the same word I've used several times already, which is, is the honesty aspect. Um, again, when you're in any addiction and you feel like you're caught in it, you've been caught, you've been seen, the the tendency is to try and wiggle your way out of it and that can you can do that by trying to minimize or make excuses um anything to avoid the spotlight right um and so but being honest um about your motives about your own wounds being honest about your motives all of those things are um critical in my opinion in in dealing with the recovery of not only of addiction but recovery really of being a person um I, i've said many times that you know even we're all all of us are addicted to something of some sort I, now some of I our addictions that. yeah some of our addictions uh take us to really dark places uh and that require a little bit well a lot of a lot more um a lot more challenging uh, teaching or aspects or, or activities, but the aspect of being honest is actually good for us as humans. You know, we, that would be what the one thing I would say is critical. If I were talking to some guy across the table would be, are you honest? Because us as men, we especially, uh, we don't like to show any weakness. We don't typically like to cry. I count myself a crier. I've, it's taken me a, a lot of years to be comfortable with the fact that I'm a tender heart. And so that denial of who I was was actually part of the problem. 
course. Um, you know, I even over the last several years, I still will occasionally have the mindset of I wish that I could be a different man. I wish that I could be the driven type A personality um, who gets things done, gets them done right the first time, which is kind of a fantasy anyway. But but I've I've had to be honest in and understanding who I am and the gifts I was given. And one of those was or is a tender heart. So being honest about who you are, what you've done, not only to others, but also to yourself. Yeah. So yeah. does that okay. answer that question? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, and you just got done sharing a very vital part of your story that's come mm -hmm. to make you who you are today. And I know you're interested in the stories of others and helping them define that story to recognize, identify that story. And I've read one of your quotes that said something like it relates to our spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical health being able to draw that together. Are those items of our spiritual, mental, emotional, and physical health, are those linear in this? Or is that a popcorn kind of thing where it bounces back and forth as we um, work on those four elements of our being? That's a good question. I, I would actually tend to think that it kind of bounces. Um. I, I kind of approach those things in the in the sense of story. Um, if you talk about like one of the things I will talk about is trauma. Um, we all experience some sort of trauma. Um, none of us it doesn't spare anybody, right? It, we all are exposed to some sort of trauma. Now, most of us. I say most of us, uh, that, that's being, a, I'm, I'm assuming this, you, you can experience either the little T traumas, which we all do kind of, uh, the little things of, you know, um, the disappointment, the, the usual disappointments we all encounter in our walk on this earth. The big T traumas are the ones that not everybody goes through, um, divorce or death, you know, drug addiction. You know, divorce. I said divorce. Um, Just some, any adverse know, childhood experiences of a, uh, you know, abuse, large negative nature, abuse, yeah, abuse, yes. molestation. Those, those, those can cause. I call that you know, the little T trauma is probably what I call death by a thousand cuts. Gotcha. Little tiny cuts. The bigger T is probably death by a blunt force trauma. You know, it's one or two, and for some people, the abuse and, and so forth may be long-term, chronic. But those, all of those things, they cause some amount of dysregulation in our body. Now, the major traumas can sometimes cause dissociation, and your brain shuts down, and if you're being abused, it causes dysregulation almost immediately. I think the little t traumas... Um, it, it, it's like a cumulative effect. You know, you get, you get something happens to you a little bit at a time over and over and over, and it begins to build up uh, almost a cynicism. Um, you know, 
And so it takes a little more time, but you kind of end up end up in the same place, which is a, a, an almost an inability to actually trust. You know, you know, if someone, if you become cynical, cynicism really is about trust. Um, you end up, you just end up not being able to trust anyone's good good graces for you. You operate out of that distrust. So the little T's or the big T's kind of end up in the same space, although sometimes the recovery for those is a little different. Um, but all of that has an effect on our bodies, um, how we respond emotionally. Um, you know, I know the word trigger um, has its own baggage now. It's, it's, it's used a lot. But in fact, there are those things where if you... Indeed. Yes, you can... If you've had you know small little issues your entire life, like for instance, I felt like uh, growing up, I was a late bloomer, literally. I, I didn't go through puberty until very late in like high school, late in high school. That that actually created my issue was one of the big things that created my issues later in my early adulthood that I've already covered. But I felt in school sometimes like. I, I was susceptible to bullies. And so as I as the years went on and I, I felt like I was susceptible to bullies and I felt bullied. So now later in life, even as a grown adult, I find myself getting angry easily at people who I perceive as bullies. So what I've done is I've taken that small t trauma that is built over the years and now i have a trigger so if i see you know a guy or even a woman who is being belligerent and bullying somebody i immediately have this almost an anger response and that's what i still have to work through because none of the, you know this none of this is is completely finite we work out some of this stuff for the rest of our lives you it's bet. an ongoing process. But I know that some of my triggers usually center around feeling like I'm being bullied. Someone's trying to bully me. Um, and sometimes that comes out and I don't, you know, I don't feel like I'm quite the man I should be. I'm not that type A. Um, so those kinds of things can cause a response emotionally and even physically to some degree. Uh, spiritually, there's this, we'll find, we'll have blind spots almost, unless, again, unless you're honest with yourself. And that's where you're stopping, slowing down, being reflective on your own story. I'm, I'm very big on understanding and knowing your own story, because the better you know your own story, the better you'll be able to battle some of these things. But the, yeah, the physical, the emotional, uh, the the relational, all this stuff, as you well know, affects our relationships. And so, being honest and working through those things only makes our relationships better in the long yes. run. So, yeah. what can we we common randies? I'll refer to it. Okay, this okay. general guy on the street at the shop on the, you know, in the field. What can we do to help others? We may not 
recognize their issue. We don't have the degree, the education, the knowledge. What do we on the street need to do to help each other get through this thing called life? Because everything you've talked about, obviously yours went to a certain degree, but we've all battled it one way or the other with Mm -hmm. one label or the other. So what do we do to help each other through life? You know, it looks like this is going to be the theme. Uh, I'm going to say it again, honesty, right? So I would say to help others in this, this same kind of thing is, is we have to strive to be authentic. And by authentic, that might mean like, so for instance, uh, like I said earlier, I've spent most of the last 20, 25 years in the construction realm uh, to pay my bills. Um, And I've had guys come up to me. I've always made it clear um, wherever I was working, um, I wasn't like preachy, but I always made it clear that I was a man of faith. Even struggling with what I struggled, I'm still a man of faith. So over the years, I would have guys ask me questions. Um, and I always felt very humbled by that. That's I, I, Someone would feel like I was a person they felt like they could trust. Um, and sometimes you can tell when someone's poking around. They're not sure if they trust you. They're going to see if they can trust you with this little bit of information first. But that was one way I began to see that the way to actually help people, either in just in, like you described, out on the street, in your everyday life, or whether you're even teaching Sunday school or a men's retreat, is are you going to be authentic? And by authentic is not only are you able to share your own story, are you, are you able to be honest? But are you also safe for someone to share theirs? If if someone were to share with me something deep inside them, I have to be trustworthy. I I can't, if they think that I'm going to go tell even my wife, or I'm going to tell a coworker, I've immediately betrayed that trust. And so, again, so it comes down to that honesty and being authentic. And then also being vulnerable. Um, it's not every it's not every day. I don't just go out on the street corner and and get on a soapbox and start preaching my testimony. Um, I could do that, and I, I, you know, if I had if if I felt like I was supposed to do that. But more more of what it's really like is walking day to day. Um, I might have a conversation with somebody. Well, back 20 years ago, when I said I was going to be honest and not lie, someone would ask me, why are you divorced? And I would say, you know, I did this and I did that and I did this. And they would say, well, I know in marriage it takes two to tango. And your wife probably was, was, was somewhat part of that failure. And I would say, no, um, she was not. And I would go further into my story. So I guess what I'm saying is there has to be a vulnerability uh, to share your own story. And sometimes you kind of have to be creative with that, right? I mean, sure. 
You don't just walk up to a guy and say, hey, let me tell you my story. Um, it just doesn't work that way. You know, you, you kind of have to be looking for clues in a normal conversation. Maybe you're in a, a you know, basketball pickup game with some guys. And after the game, you're sitting down with a guy and you get a chance to talk about something that's going on. There's, you have to be paying attention. That's tuned in to the moment. Tuned, tuned in. Yes, yes. That's that's another one of my big things is the, the term paying attention. Not only do you need to pay attention to if you're a man of faith or a woman of faith, paying attention is crucial to being able to live that faith, but paying attention to other people as well. Absolutely. Being, being safe for them. They'll, they'll, people will read it that way eventually. Yeah. yeah. Most people will find if you're around them long enough, and it doesn't always happen that way. But you, you can't you can't save everyone. But if you're authentic, honest, and vulnerable, I believe you can begin to hear people's stories, and they'll feel safe with it. Amen, Robert. Uh, wow, this is this time's flown by. We're moving toward the end here. We've got a few more minutes, six or seven. Why sure. don't you go ahead and share with us something that maybe I haven't addressed or we've got not gotten next to that sure. you would like folks to know? Give that a couple, three minutes. Uh, yeah, tell us about yeah. that. Um, I would say, so uh, when, it, when it comes to being... There's an aspect of needing to be kind. Um, you know, there's that old saying that's gone around. I think it gets skewered now on social media, but that that saying, be kind uh, for everyone that you meet is is fighting a difficult battle. Are yes. you familiar with that? I think it's Got an old that. it's been ascribed to Plato, but I'm not sure if that's really true. But that but that is is a saying that I I I come back to a lot is be kind because yes, we've all, we've all suffered under some sort of little T traumas or the big T and we're all walking through life trying to work out that baggage. So being kind, um, it can happen, but it, it kind of you kind of have to learn how to be kind to yourself, and someone who's in the throes of addiction and trying to recover from addiction, you we all know that typically in addictions there's going to be a relapse or two, you know, and you may you're going to find yourself sometimes battling uh, the self contempt. Um, I battled. I, I can't tell you, Randy, how despicable the self-contempt I had for myself even 15 years ago. Um, it was horrible. The problem with self-contempt is it doesn't just stay with you. Eventually, that self-contempt is going to be focused on others. You're going to have self-contempt and contempt for others, and then they're going to see all that. You can't be kind in that. So the kindness for someone who's trying to recover, or again, for any human, the kindness of understanding, you know what, I, I've had my own traumas, I've, I'm fighting my battles, not everything is my fault, and begin to care for yourself, and I know this sounds very, 
oh, sounds somewhat new age, you know, careful. It almost sounds anti-Christian, and I don't think it is. Um, you know, the call is to love others as you love yourself. So to have some self-care, to monitor your own self-talk. I mean, I, I know addicts, they know what that is to have that self-talk where, you know, I'm a failure. I'll never get this right. I'm never going to get to the top of the mountain. I'll always be this. You know, it's, it's, it's horrible. It's despicable for our humanity, our own humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And once we start, I think our, we have a, a common friend, Vern Heinemann, who you had on the podcast about a month ago. And I remember I watched that and he was saying that gratitude, you got to have gratitude. It is indispensable. If you don't have some gratitude, you don't have gratitude. It's hard to be kind, not only to yourself, but to other people. So that's, that's one thing I would, I would say uh, to kind of close is that practicing kindness, start looking at yourself, know your own story. Start If you don't know your own story, and what I mean by that is think about your, your, your growing up, your own wounds. And sometimes when you start seeing that, you start to see, ah, that's why I started exactly. drinking. Or that's why this particular relief. Behavior. I, yes, this behavior is a, I'm seeking relief from something. Um, and you start to, as you start to navigate that and start to have some self-care where you're not, you're, there's no, you're the contempt for yourself starts to lessen and the care for yourself starts to raise to where you're able to walk um, in basically shalom, you know, that peace. And then kindness for others starts, starts to take place as well. So like, kindness for self and kindness for others. I like the idea of kindness, authenticity, and honesty. Now, they're, they're very close right there, but if oh, yeah. you can get those three things down, uh, your life's going to change for the better by all means. Yeah, a they're very closely connected. Yeah. A final question, the mm -hmm. name of our podcast, Faith in Your Recovery. You've got one minute to tell us what that means to you. Tell us, please. Yeah. So faith in your recovery, I would go back to uh, our lives, our stories. And as you begin to navigate your story, you, as I said, you see the wounds, you see the little traumas. Maybe you see, maybe it's, maybe it's a finding someone where you can actually talk about that major trauma. Maybe you were molested. Maybe you were abused. Um, all of those types of types of things. Maybe there's that point where you can you can have some confidence in someone, uh, some vulnerability to begin to navigate that. And as you do that, as you have attunement, where someone is actually listening to you, and you have to choose to let them do that. Containment, which is they're a safe person. They're, they're not going to spread it. You know that you're safe with your secrets because we know that's secrets are <laughs> this is the worst thing for someone who's in an addiction. Yes. But after the attunement and containment is 
beginning to repair that rupture in your in your shalom in your spirit and by that 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 can take all sorts of different directions but it's it includes sharing your story that attunement keeping it safe and you can begin to work through some Amen. of the some of the things that have brought you to where you're using something for relief Amen. Robert, thank you for your time. Thank you for your willingness to be vulnerable, as you stated earlier, to be raw, to be real. And that's where we've all got to go back to, I believe, yeah. to be able to, to step in front of the issue that has brought us down and held us back yeah. and uh, then to move forward, to deal with it. Thank you for your honesty and your integrity and what you shared with us. God bless. We appreciate your time. Take care. Thank you. Stay in the battle, folks. Hang in there. Come back. Listen you, to Randy. us again. We've got more to share and great insights to offer. God bless. Amen. Amen.